We want to begin this morning in 2 Kings chapter 6. talk about today that God has put on my heart is the nature of our own nature and <laughs> what it's the, the, the our human nature what it uh, our natural human instincts uh, our sense of logic and common sense and we talk about it often and I know that I was praying about this during the week, and then I opened up yesterday to this, and it kind of was a good example, and there are several other examples, of our human nature. Because we have to recognize the different motions of, of nature and spiritual, natural and spiritual, natural-mindedness, what it means to be carnally minded, and what it means to be spiritually minded. Because the natural mind, the carnal mind, it says, breeds death. But in the spiritual mind is life and peace. Because many, and even amongst those who profess to be Christians, there can, we can fall into discouragement, depression, anxiety, fear. And the question is, Why? And to be able to understand that and what to do about it. You know, so the first thing is to look and to see what it is and how it shows itself in our life. And so as we read this here, we begin to see, and the Bible says the Word of God uh, is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts, dividing to the soul and spirit. It gets right down and, and exposes things deep down inside each of us. And no one is immune to this. This is true. So this morning we want to believe, be, begin by reading in chapter 6 of Second Kings in verses 24 and 25 and then 30 to 33. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad king of Syria gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cob of dove drop droppings for five shekels of silver. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes and as he passed on by the wall, passed by on the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, "God do so, so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Shaphat, remains on him today." But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, 
Do you see how his son of a, how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So before we go into chapter 7, this is a very dire, very difficult time in Israel, uh, the nation of Israel. And uh, <clears throat> this is when the Syrians surrounded the city of Samaria. And what they did in those days, they surrounded a city and they would let no food come in. You know, you don't grow food in a city. You grow it out in the fields and the farms and everything out. And there's no food that can come in. And so, here we have a case where they said a donkey's head was worth, uh, you know, 80 shekels of silver. The king's ransom. 80 shekels of silver for the head of a donkey to eat that. Or the droppings of a dove, the, the, the dove droppings. You know, a quart of a pint of dove droppings sold for five shekels of silver. It's hard to believe that people would eat these things, but when they're starving to death, people will eat just about anything. So, and it goes on, and I didn't. I specifically skipped over uh, the case of cannibalism that happens after that, uh, for the sake of the children. And then it talks about how the king blamed it on Elisha, the prophet, and he was going to. He sent somebody to kill Elisha, the prophet. And so the king was angry with the prophet and obviously with the God of Israel. And uh, in chapter 7, we will read verses 1 to 9 in uh, chapter 7. <clears throat> then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour, which excuse me, shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make widows in heaven, could this windows in heaven, excuse me, if the Lord could make windows in heaven, could this Thing be, And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. <clears throat> if they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they rose and fled at twilight and left the camp 
intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And then um, we'll read verses 14 to 20. Therefore they took the chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king had come down to him. So it happened, just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel, and a seah of fine flour for a shekel, shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he, and he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. <clears throat> so in this case... There was great starvation in the city of Samaria, and nobody could go out and get food and everything because of the camp of the Syrians. And then the whole thing that happened, the Lord uh, scared the Syrians away, and they left all their food and the whole story that develops. But Elisha had predicted this when he said that a seah of fine flour shall be Sold for a shekel. A sia, I just looked up, is nine quarts in, in American measure. It'd be nine quarts of flour. So, there's a lot of flour. I mean, how many pounds of flour is that? And for a shekel. We read earlier when the when the siege was on that they spent five shekels for a, a pint of, of dove dropping. And so when Elisha said that, and he said also, two seas of barley, that's 18 quarts a barley will sell for a shekel. And so at the gate. And so the officer who the right who was who the king leaned on, uh, when he heard Elisha say that, he, he said, Oh, that's ridiculous. He said, If if the Lord made the wind make, could make the windows in heaven could, would make windows in heaven, in other words, so it could pour out from heaven, could this thing be? And so Elisha's response was, well, you'll see it with your eyes, but you're not going to eat any of it. And this here is an example of logic, of human nature, of human reasoning, as opposed to believing the Word of God. The Word of God spoken through Elisha. And it speaks to us because Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name believing, you will receive it. If you believe it, you will receive it. 
A lot of people don't receive things because they don't believe. There's other reasons, but that's one of them, and it's a and it's a big one. And not doubt in your heart that you ask that the things that you ask for happen. And so here, and why why do we struggle with that? Because of our carnal nature, the carnal mind is a war between the natural mind and the spiritual mind. The Bible says the spirit and the carnal mind are at enmity with one another. And so when this man hears something spiritual, he balks at it, he laughs, scoffs it. Ah! The windows of heaven were open and God dumped it out. Is that, is that even possible? So Elisha says, yeah, it's going to happen this time tomorrow. There's people are starving in the city. There's no food. Nothing. It looks impossible. He says, yeah, it's going to happen tomorrow. But you're not going to eat any of it. And you see what happens to the man. He gets trampled to death after he sees it happening. He never eats any of it. And the message in it is very clear. That the things that we hear from the Word of God, no matter how impossible they look or seem, that we should believe them. Ask and you shall receive. And well, you don't, you know, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what's going on in my home. You know, see, this is the thing. They look too big. And he said, well, is anything too hard for God? In the New Testament, you hear the story of Zechariah's father, John the Baptist. Gabriel comes <coughs> And he announces, your, your wife's going to have a son. And his response to Gabriel is, how can this be? My wife is beyond the age of childbearing. What happens? The angel Gabriel says, oh, it's going to happen. He says to him, he says, I am Gabriel who stands before God. He says, because you didn't believe it, you're going to be deaf until, it happened, until you, this happens. God, God struck him so that he couldn't hear <coughs> until the time that John the Baptist was born. He says, For nothing shall be impossible with God. For God told that to Mary. Nothing shall be impossible with God. A virgin shall conceive. Do we adopt this kind of mindset when we look at problems? Do we adopt this when we look at obstacles? The doc doctor says you're going to die, so you're going to die. You know that. You know. We we look at things according to logic, according to financials, according to you know what's going on in our society, what's going on in our world, and what's going on in our neighborhood, and and just. Do every do things and look at those things according to that. <coughs> we look at current events and we um, react to them in a way that maybe we shouldn't. The next one we will go to is in Numbers chapter eleven. Moses, the man of faith, 
has a little trouble here. Verses 18 to 23, Numbers 11, 18 to 23. This is when they're demanding meat and they're grumbling because they don't have any meat. The children of Israel. Verse 18. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you shall... For you... Excuse me. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying... Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people who I am among are six hundred thousand men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat, and that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been too, been shortened? Now you shall see what I say will happen to you, or if what I say will happen to you or not. Okay. <clears throat> this is a question we should that God asks that we should keep in our mind. Has the Lord's arm become short? What he means here is that his power become diminished. In our human nature and in our, even in our spiritual walk, it's easier to believe on things that aren't too hard than things that are looking possible. And you see here, this is exactly what happens to the man of God, the man of faith, Moses here. That this looks impossible. And so he questions God. He says, you know, what are you going to do? For a whole month, are you going to kill all our flocks? Are you going to bring all the fish to the sea here? How is this going to happen? You know, the funny thing is, and the the strange thing about all this is, and Moses' reaction, is is that God had given them meat before in the wilderness. If you go back to Exodus, where is it? Exodus 16, verse 13, you'll see that that God brought them quail before they eat. This is not the first time. And so, God... Brings them as we read in verses 31 and 32. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and left them fluttering near the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that night, all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Mm -hmm. Quail again. God did it before, and he did it a second time. You say, well, why did Moses struggle with this? Well, again, the big things, the harder things, for some reason... It seem harder for us to trust God about because 
you know, it tests, it tests our faith in a little stronger because it's something that seems more impossible. And so this is where it doesn't come down to how hard is it because God, it says here, now you shall see whether what I say will happen or not. If God says it, we can believe it. Whether it's hard or easy. And we don't have to figure it out. We don't have, oh, well, God is going to do this. You see Moses is sitting here trying to figure it out. He says, what are you going to bring all the fish out of the sea? Are you going to, we're going to have to kill all of our flocks. And he's trying to reason it out from a carnal point of view. How's God going to do this? doesn't matter how he's going to do it. What matters is, is what he said. You shall see whether what I say will happen or not. What he said, and that's the key. What he said, you will see whether what he said will happen or not. And Jesus said to the man, all things are possible to those who believe. And so, when it says all things, of course, it means within agreement with the Word of God, of course. But, unfortunately, we can start whittling away at our faith in the Word of God by using our natural reasoning this way. And it's a great warning to us. And it was a rebuke of Moses here, the man of God, the man of faith, because it didn't look like there's any way possible God could do it. He was seeing God's power, the limit, he, he was limiting the power of God. In the book of Psalms, when it talks about the, the Israelites, it says they limited the God of Israel. And he uses the word limited and what does it mean they limited God? Well, they limited God because they wouldn't believe God. They wouldn't trust Him. They, they wouldn't believe that what God said He was able to deliver on. Um, the next one is in Genesis 17. Another man of faith. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, he's referred to as the father of faith. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 17. And um, verse 1 and then 15 to 19. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 15, yes. then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will and she shall be a mother of nations. King kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is one hundred years old? 
And shall Sarah, who is ninety <coughs> years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. Mm -hmm. Verse 20. Oh, no. um, 21 and 22. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at a set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Okay, so <laughs> this promise of God comes to Abraham once again. He promised to him to, to promise it to him before, but it hadn't happened yet. He promised him when he was seventy-five, and here he is, ninety-nine. It's twenty-four years later. And God says, "When you're a hundred, Sarah's going to have a son." Sarah is past the age of childbearing. She'd gone through menopause, all that. And what did Abraham do? He laughed. That's what the name Isaac means. He laughs. He laughed. He said, he said, well, maybe you can make it Ishmael, my son from the slave woman. It, uh, you know, he says, God says, no, your wife is the one who's going to have the son next year. And um, I think it's, it says, he says, um, if you listen to Abraham's reasoning in verse 17, he fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, he didn't say it out loud, but he was thinking it. And this is the tricky part, you know, because we may not speak some things, but some things are going on inside of us that are kind of undermine the word of God. And as you see this undermining going on here from what he heard, it says, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? <clears throat> Logic. Reasoning. Intellectual. I mean, there's a time to use... Uh, there's plenty of time to use logic and intellectual thinking and using our intellect. God gave us those things for reason. But those things always, always, always have to yield to the Word of God. And God said something. And so that means logic, natural, carnal reasoning, they're second and third place. Put those where they belong, their proper place. The Word of God supersedes all these other things. It's above all these things. And so you see Abraham laugh, and his reasoning. And it was thinking these things in his heart. And sometimes we think these things and we don't even recognize that we're undermining, we're, we're allowing our, ourselves to undermine the Word of God. You know? I remember, you know, many things. There was people that we prayed for as a church and you know, that people are supposed to die. Terminal illnesses, and they're still alive. That's even scientifically possible, but it's not, it's not a usual thing. 
and things like people that have cancer and then they don't have it. And it's, it's miraculous. Well, that's what we're talking about yeah. here is we're talking about the natural and the human wisdom as opposed to the wisdom and the Word of God. The difference, the difference between the two and how they, you know, how the one can undo, you know, the, the human wisdom and science and medicine can undo, you know, we can allow those things under, undermine our faith in what God says. I, and I, so, I, I believe God can heal anything. I don't, I don't believe in the, what you're saying. I mean, I, I believe in what you're saying, but I don't, you know, right. so, I don't believe in the doctors right. and all that. All right, so let's hold that for now. And then it says, in chapter 18, in verse 1, and then uh, 9 to 15 in chapter 18 also, verse 1, and the verses 9 to 15. Then the Lord appeared to him, by the terebinth trees in Mamre, and he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Verse 9, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to, to the time of life, and behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah went, were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Mm -hmm. So you see another laugher here. No wonder the Lord told him to call him Isaac. Means he laughs. If you see what Sarah's response is very similar to Abraham's. Now why is that? Because it's something that's in all of us. It's not just in Sarah and Abraham, it's in all of us. Is this looking at things that seem impossible to our senses and saying, throwing up our hands and saying, how can God do that? And God's response when, he, when Sarah laughs, is, is anything, in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Similar to what he said to Moses. Has the arm of the Lord become short? And sometimes we pray for things, but after a while they don't happen for them, and we stop praying for them, and we pray for things that seem impossible. For marriages to be healed. For friends that are, that are separated to be reunited. For sicknesses to be healed. For all kinds of problems. And sometimes when you begin to pray about some things that 
maybe we haven't prayed for a while, we, you know, this question comes up, am I crazy to be praying for this? Nothing's happened and it's just, you know, am I crazy to still be praying for this? But Jesus gave a parable which he said that we should pray always and not give up or not lose heart. Sometimes we lose heart. It seems impossible. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. God isn't doing anything. What's happening? This is crazy. You know, is God going to open the windows of heaven? Am I going to have a baby when I'm 100 years, you know, the son when I'm 100? Am I going to have a baby when I'm 90 years old and past the time of childbearing, Sarah said? Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for the Lord with his response? So what is this really all about? It's about what we talked about at the beginning of this. Why we become discouraged. Why do we give up? Why did Jesus need to give us a parable about praying always and not giving up? Because if we listen to our human nature, our carnal nature, we will give up. Because the nature, our human nature, the carnal mind doesn't understand the things of God. Neither can it. But the Bible says we please God if we believe He will reward us for diligently seeking Him. God who hears us in secret, in our prayer closet, will reward us, Jesus said. A reward for our prayers. And not just the little things. Not just for our daily bread. It's easy to believe God for our daily bread today because there's, you know, we're living a time of prosperity. But there's some things that are not as easy for us to figure out. Things where we're more challenging. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Yes, God is able to. But will he do it? It says he'll do it according to the power that's at work within us. Whereas Jesus said to some in his day, as you have believed, let it be done to you. According to your faith, let it be done to you. There's a, there's a connection between what God will do. He has the power to do all this. He's able to do it. But it's according to what we believe. According to the power that's at work within us. There is a connection between what we believe and what we receive. Oh yeah, there's... Other things to take into account. This is <clears throat> not to maybe sound as blunt as it sounds. But the truth is still there. Because we just read it. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask for. All we can pray for. All we can even think of. You know, above what we can think of. Above our logic. Above our ability to, to think it out. And to figure out how God could do it. He's able to do above that. According to our faith. According to the power that is at work within us. 
few weeks ago we read from Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul prayed that our eyes would be open to several things, and one of them is the exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe. Believe in what? Believe in his power. To believe in him and his power. To believe in his willingness to help us if we diligently seek him. That the reward. If we believe in the reward for diligently seeking him. So the last one is in Acts chapter 12. Happens in the, in the first century church. Acts 12. Verses 1 to 16. <clears throat> now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were, were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals, so, and so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done... He did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. So she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. And now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. <coughs> You see what happened to James. James was killed. 
And so then Peter was arrested by Herod. And the assumption is, is that they were going to do this, that Herod was going to do the same thing to him. He's going to have him executed too. And they put him in prison, same as James, chained him, everything else, guards around him, four squads of guards, that's 16 uh, guards around him, and chained inside the, the place, inside the prison, and, you know, sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door keeping the prison. It looked impossible. And I guess a lot of them assumed that the same thing was going to happen to Peter. And so these people are gathered together, and Peter gets freed, and he goes to his house, he knocks on the door, servant girl comes and says, sees him, and she's so excited, she comes back and excited, tells her, hey, Peter's at the door. Like, yeah, right, you know, and she keeps on insisting, and says, well, it's his spirit, you know, it's not him. And it says Peter kept on knocking on the door till finally, you know, they left Peter at the door knocking until finally he came, they came to the door and saw that it was him. It says they were astonished. But in this, we also see the same thing. That's why I say, you know, this is, <laughs> this is like a couple thousand years apart, you know, from the time of Abraham to the time this happened. But you, you see, it's the same thing. That they're praying... But when God answers the prayer, and the man's standing out at their front door, ah, oh, no, it can't be him. They must have, he must have been killed like, like, uh, like James, and now it's just his, his spirit, you know. It was him. God answered their prayer. I guess somebody somewhere was praying in faith. But, you know, the important thing is, is that we talk about the greatness of the early church and the power of the early church and the miracles that God did in the early church through the apostles and everything else and all this stuff, and it's true. It's all true, but you see, you know, there's flaws too. And sometimes things look impossible and sometimes they, we, you know, just like us. It seems like something... We would never say it's too hard for God. But sometimes we struggle with believing God would do that for us. The exceeding greatness of His power to those who believe. And so they had a hard time believing it. And as we look at the things we're praying about today, what power is at work within us? Is our heart a little hard or cynical or unbelieving because it hasn't happened for a long time? Or in this case, well, you see what happened to, to James, so I was assuming, well, we say, well, God didn't do this for this person, so we've got to stop. got to stop that kind of logic and human reasoning and all kinds of things like that. Our relationship with God is meant to be personal between us and Him. As we ask things together, it needs to be fresh and new. And we look at how God is willing to answer prayers. And not be bound by our human nature to undo those things, and then we become discouraged. 
and things begin to look a little darker and a little more hopeless and that's what's happening is that we're we're allowing our carnal nature our carnal mind to undo the things that the word of god promises and so with powers that work within us Ian, I'll let you comment on that first.